0: Hi there. Welcome to episode 25 of The Playground Project. Yes, I said episode 25 of The Playground Project with me, your host, Tanya Pomerantz. Did you know that we've been hanging out together on The Playground ever since the 8th of March? Mm-hmm. That was International Women's Day, and that was my goal. I wanted to start my podcast on International Women's Day, and I did, and you have been with me ever since. I am so grateful for that. So today, before we get into the conversation with my delightful mystery guest, I would like to say thank you to those people that are following me on Instagram at puddlejumpcoaching001, and you're kind of just catching up and seeing what I'm sharing with the world, uh, or at least the the people that are following me on Instagram. Uh, and it's usually something that I'm doing with Frank, the dog, or Gary, the husband. And today's mystery guest, well, prepare to be inspired. He is a lovely human being, and we met through the Federal Internship for Newcomers uh, Mentorship Program at OCSO. Uh, He is just exactly the kind of person you want to see in a leadership position. So I'm so excited to welcome my mystery guest, Michael Giuseppe, onto the playground with us today. Welcome, Michael Giuseppe. I am absolutely delighted to have you on the playground with me today with us today. (laughs) And before we kind of get into things, I'm just going to read your LinkedIn bio, and then we can chat about kind of how we met. And and then we're going to get straight into it about high school and all that good stuff. So, Michael Giuseppe, his mission is to facilitate the improvement of health systems through developing programs that are patient-centered, timely, safe, efficient, and effective. He has held numerous positions at Health Canada, where he has been able to develop extensive experience in regulatory affairs, policy, program development, and data-based decision-making. He recently completed his Master of Science in Healthcare Quality, Risk and Safety at Queen's University in order to further his knowledge of optimal strategies by administ- for administering healthcare in today's environment. Whew. He looks forward to contributing his understanding of the intersection between quality, risk and safety to future health challenges. So this is Michael, and I know Michael from being a mentor with the Federal Internship for Newcomers program, the FIN program, when I was working at Mm OCISO, Michael is absolutely lovely. You're going to see this for yourself. And Michael, I'm glad you're here.
1: Well, thank you, Tony. Thanks for the introduction and and for having me here. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, I have questions, and you know that I have questions that I sent you. I also have other questions that are kind of percolating. Nothing crazy though, promise you. That's the okay. First... It's all,
1: all part of the process.
0: <laughs> True. Couple
1: surprise questions.
0: The first question is: what was high school like for you? And kind of where did you grow up? Where did you go to high school?
1: To start off, I went to high school in Burlington, Ontario, which is just about 45 minutes or so from Toronto. So that's where I grew up and went to high school. And overall, I'd say my experience is probably in high school is probably very similar to lots of people. I feel like Full of ups and downs. Like I have some great memories from high school, but I think overall, I can't say I would be in any rush to go back to those days either. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm a little, I'm kind of happy that those days are behind me
0: at this point. Mm-hmm. How did you like academically? Were you i I'm assuming you were a sciencey kind of guy.
1: I was pretty sciencey. That's right. I, I, thankfully, I had pretty good marks throughout high school, and I excelled in, in most subjects, I would say. So I probably, to put it nicely, I probably skewed a bit more on the studious side, maybe a little bit of a, a nerd in high school, <laughs> especially at the start of high school. And then I think as the years went on, I kind of found myself a little bit, came out of my shell a little bit more. And then grade 11 and 12, thankfully still did really well in school. And then I was able to get involved in a bit more things in the school community. I was on the football team, for example. I was on the swim team, made a few more friends as well. So became a bit more so. So I think grade 11 and 12 were, were highlights for me in high school. Because I think at that point, I found a little bit of a better balance and got to know myself a little bit better.
0: It sounds like it. Football, what was your position?
1: So I was on defense. I didn't really, I'll be honest, with you. I didn't play that much in high school, but I was at least on the team and I had a Jersey. I got to practice every day, but didn't see too much time on the field, (laughs) but I still enjoyed it. I had lots of friends on the team and it was always fun doing that in high school.
0: I think that's cool. And, you know, the idea of being on a team and what that represents and what you need to do to get to that point and the discipline and everything whether or not you had a lot of play on time on the field or not, you were still part of that, and that's still significant.
1: Exactly. Yeah, great way to get involved in the school community, and also helps, I think, on, on any university or college applications that you're submitting as well. So I think that was the benefit to me as well. There, there's, certainly, when you submit an application like that, they're not asking about your playing time. So you can at least say you're on the team.
0: (laughs) That is true. And so there you are, grade 11 to 12. Did you know when you were starting to apply like to university and stuff, did you know what you were going to do?
1: Not totally. And I think when you're at that age, it's really hard actually to have to figure out what you essentially want to do for the rest of your life. So I think I was pretty sure that I wanted to do the sciences. But at the same time, I think there was a part of me that thought, oh, maybe I should look at doing something in the arts? Or should I look at doing some sort of business degree? And then I don't really know why. But in the end, I just landed on doing a science program. And I think my ultimate goal in grade 11 and 12 was actually to go on to medical school after I did my undergraduate degree. So grade 11, 12, that was really what I thought I would be doing after I finished my undergrad.
0: And so what happened?
1: So in my case, that was something I still wanted to do throughout my undergrad, even after I first graduated. That's what I really wanted to do. And as many of us know, trying to go through the med school process in Canada, it's very tough, very competitive. I went through the process a couple of times and just couldn't crack that code to be able to get to get in. So I think eventually I landed this job at Health Canada. I even applied a couple of times while I was with Health Canada. And I think eventually I just realized maybe this isn't the cards for me. And I pivoted a little bit and kind of focused a little bit more. On my career within the government instead of setting my sights on going to medical school. Hmm,
0: okay. I'm taking notes, and the listener knows that I am a copious note taker. So, your undergrad was in what?
1: It was in biology. Or it was a bachelor of science degree with a major in biology.
0: So, one of the things that I'm most fascinated by people is the idea that, you know, some people navigate towards let's say, being a doctor, right? They right. they do everything in their power. They make decisions because they want to become a doctor and right. it's very strategic. And it sounded like you were quite strategic, you know, in the way that you mentioned that it looks good on the resume and to get into the application stuff to get into school. How did you feel when you felt like, oh man, I, I'm not cracking this code? Were you able to like quickly bounce back and say all right fine I'm going to use my transferable skills in the government or was it a little bit of a struggle for you?
1: It was definitely a huge disappointment for me and to be honest with you it's something that still I think is at the back of my mind it bothers me to this day so I feel like when you have a certain goal in mind or some sort of dream you don't achieve that I think it Maybe not the case for everyone, but in my case, at least, it was definitely very disappointing. So I definitely don't think it was just easy for me to think about, okay, now I'm going to focus on my career in the government. I'm just going to forget about medical school completely. I think for me, it was just a bit of a process over time where I started off thinking, okay, well, I'll put that goal or dream on hold for now, focus on my career and I think over time, I just realized that I'm fairly happy in the government. I feel like there's some room for growth. And then as I got older, I feel like it just made more sense for me to focus some of my time and energy on my existing career as to as opposed to going back to those aspirations to be in medical school.
0: And why did you want to be a doctor?
1: That is a great question. I feel like I thought that through because I thought if ever got an interview for medical school, I'm sure that question would come up. I think for me, beyond Helping people because I feel like that's probably the classic thing that people say. I think for me, it was more about building connections with people. I think for me, I really get a lot of joy Mm -hmm. from building connections with people and trying to support them in some way. So I think I saw medicine is a really great way for me to do that and also be able to do a lot of work in the local community as well. So that was really the draw for me. And the fact to having a science background, it seemed like a natural progression to, I think, then move into doing something more in a professional degree like medicine.
0: Hmm, very interesting. And I was thinking about you today when I was listening to CBC. They were having an interview about the tobacco business where Health yeah. Canada is now putting the whatever. On every individual cigarette
1: right I saw that there's a new set of regulations I think that just came into effect
0: yeah and I was thinking about you and you know working in Health Canada and stuff and as I was listening to I think he was a professor of law or something he was saying that this is not going to be very helpful he was pointing out that if you really wanted to do something to to make people stop and change their behavior you don't kind of keep showing them how bad this is and how bad, bad and stigma. But instead, you put information on how to get over it, or, you know, right through it. And so I mean, I know that it's not the same thing as being a doctor, per se, but it's still helping people.
1: I think that's a really interesting point, because there have been lots of times I've reflected on whether I want to stay in government or whether I want to try my hand at private sector, for example. But I think I always come back to this point that what makes me tick and what resonates with me is this idea of feeling like I'm making some sort of difference or helping people in some way. And so I think, to your point, if I moved into the private sector, I don't think I would get that same level of satisfaction. Not that what I'm doing now is making a huge difference in the world, but at least I feel like it's a little bit more closely aligned working in government than other types of sectors.
0: And I, I'm just in my head, thinking about the private sector, I don't know, I I think you're in a really great spot for who you are and what makes you tick. And, you know, right,
1: exactly. That's what I'm thinking, too. I think that's what keeps me sticking around in government is that thought that deep down, that's what drives me is helping people. So it makes sense for me to be in a sector that somewhat aligns with that.
0: Yeah, you're a public servant,
1: humble public servant.
0: Humble public
1: service. As I like to say. (laughs)
0: There we are. So the next question, what does your career look like?
1: Well, that is still to be determined. I I think I ask myself that question every single day about what's next in my career. I mean, so far, not that I've had an amazing career by any means, but I'm thankful that I've had some different opportunities. So when I started at Health Canada, my first job was pretty humble. It was supervising essentially the destruction of drugs that companies were disposing of. So you literally have to go to an incineration site and watch them burn these drugs. So not the most glamorous job in the world. At the very least, it was a nice way to get acquainted with what working in the government was like.
0: Did you have to wear any kind of protective equipment?
1: You did. So you would wear, I can't even remember what they'd give you. I think you did have a mask, although you didn't always have to wear it. You'd probably wear some sort of protective gear over your clothing. So very humble beginnings in some ways. And then from there, I was able to transition to a few different roles. I worked as an inspector related to controlled substances and cannabis, enjoyed that. But I also realized that that's not really something that resonated with me. So it's not something I want to do long term. Mm -hmm. And so then I've, I've been able to have some other roles that are a little bit more related to regulatory affairs. And then now I'm going the direction a little bit more of policy work, which I think I always thought I might be interested in. So I'm thankful that. I've had those different experiences, and now I'm able to push my career a little bit more towards something that I think will hopefully lead to what I really want to do long term.
0: Well, as and as a career development practitioner person, what is that?
1: That is what I'm trying to really figure out because I don't I don't quite know. Even if I, even though I said earlier, policy is something I'm interested in. I've never really done policy work, so I don't even know if that's something I want to do long term. So I think for now my main goal is to try out different opportunities and see essentially what sticks. I mean, one thing I have recognized is I do think that for me, in terms of this point, I was talking about earlier about building connections with people. I've had the opportunity once in a while to work as a little bit more of a supervisor role or manager role. And I think that's something I've really enjoyed because that's, I think, where I get those opportunities to really build connections with people, try and support, try and remove barriers for employees. So, I think at mm-hmm. the very least I can say, I'm hoping that I can move into a position where I'm a little bit more at the management level.
0: Okay. Well, you know, you and I have that same thing about connecting. Like that's my modus operandi. So right.
1: that I know. In my,
0: yeah, in my head, I'm like, okay, who do I know that's in management at Health Canada? I want you to have a conversation with somebody who is a manager who will be able to have a conversation, but also see all your qualities and will be able to take, you know, take that, pass that along to whoever so to, to give you an opportunity.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I would, I would definitely appreciate that. And I know you're the right person to talk to whenever it comes to any types of connections. You're the first person that comes to my mind as well.
0: Well, I, I can't thank you enough for being there for all of all of the people, all of the Finn mentees, all of my colleagues, all of the Algonquin students, even even non-Algonquin students that just happen to see, you know, find me on LinkedIn right. and I reach out to you. And you're always there for them. And I am so appreciative of that.
1: Well, thanks, Tony. You always make it so easy and seamless and I always get something out of those conversations too. So I never mind having a discussion or or any sort of introduction to anyone.
0: Thank you. I am intrigued. How have you been able to find your purpose? I
1: would answer that by saying that I truly believe that I'm still trying to find my purpose actually. So I don't think I've quite found it yet, but I think what actually drives me maybe is thinking about trying to find my purpose, if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. So I think all these different turns I've taken in my career so far, it's been in the hopes, you know, maybe this will be the opportunity or I think this is my dream job, or at least it will lead me towards my dream job. So I think for me right now, it's more about that desire to find my purpose is what's pushing me forward and helping to, to guide me a little bit within my career.
0: Okay. Okay. I have something else that I'm going to send you. Have I told you about the Charity Village Career Assessment Tool?
1: I don't think you have. It no, was, that doesn't sound familiar.
0: I'll send you the link. I'll put it in the show notes as well. It's... um. It was exceptionally helpful in guiding me towards what I didn't know within myself. Like I knew it, but I, you know, to have it in these questions that they ask, because it's not like a typical, like whatever you, you fill out this um, assessment form. It really gets to the heart of who you are and what matters to you and stuff. So I will send you the link. I hope that it gives you as much information to help you. To try to figure that out because it's there Michael your purpose is inside you
1: well thank you very much I'd appreciate that and it's funny I feel like you're, you're very quick to forget about these tools or ignore them but I think when you do them you realize they're actually very helpful in learning things about yourself that you didn't really know even though I think we all think we know ourselves so well <laughs> these tools can help solidify that
0: yes very very helpful and here's another one yeah you talk about times you have had to pivot but you know what I'll tell you something My last uh, podcast guest also has a very similar thread to what you are sharing with us.
1: Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. In what Mm -hmm. way?
0: Same thing. Wanted to get into med school.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: I'm quite fascinated by both of these journeys. And, you know, fast forward, she just got her master's in counseling, and she owns her own mental health business called Talk Tools. Oh, talk amazing. tools training and talk tools therapy.
1: Amazing! Mm-hmm. That sounds like a really good pivot for her because it, it's still, a course, within that healthcare layout. So, I give mm-hmm. her a lot of uh, a lot of compliments on that one.
0: I'm gonna put that in the show notes and send that to you as well because it's just it's again helpful to understand all of the different ideas that could develop. And here's something that you haven't said. Are you still being an instructor slash teacher slash professor?
1: I am. So I'm off for the summer, but I'll be starting that again this fall, which I'm looking forward to.
0: Okay. So tell us how you got into that, please.
1: So that was a bit of a fluke. So I, I just to give you a bit of background, I work as a part-time instructor with Sheridan College with the Regulatory Affairs and Clinical Research Program. And so Last September is when they first launched this program through Sheridan College. So I think they're at a point, they're really trying to build up their roster of instructors. I saw posting online that they were looking for instructors for this program. I've always thought I'd have a bit of an interest in teaching. I feel like it's something that I would enjoy. And also, I feel like it's it's always nice to do something outside of your core work. And so I thought this might be a really good side hustle, in a sense, to Mm -hmm. to teach part-time. So I ended up reaching out to Sheridan. I think it was more right place, right time. They, they needed someone to teach a particular course. I happened to have a little bit of expertise in that area. And this was actually around this time last summer. So at that time, it just seemed like a perfect fit. They onboarded me pretty quickly. And next thing you know, I was developing a course and then getting ready to teach that September for the, the first cohort of students that were coming into the program.
0: How was that?
1: It was really good, but it was also a lot of work, I think I mentioned to you, and very stressful too, because I've never taught before. So even just in terms of trying to develop a course from scratch, that's not something I've ever been exposed to before. So that was a really big challenge for me, especially trying to do that outside of my work as well. So even just trying to find time and weekends and evenings to develop the course, that was really difficult. And then gearing up for teaching as well was a completely new experience to me. You think it's not so bad, but when you get into that moment when Mm. you're going to your first class, it's actually quite nerve wracking to be up there in front of 40, 50 students and, and teaching because, you know, they have really high expectations for you. And they expect that you know your stuff and that you're very well prepared with each of the lectures that you're doing.
0: And may I say that's probably why they hired you, not just as a as a fluke, my friend. (laughs) <laughs> but because they saw they saw this inside, they saw this in you and your ability to impart information in a way that's easy to access for people. And listen, regulatory affairs, it's its not the, uh, how can I put it? It's kind of dry, not the juiciest. Yeah, oh,
1: absolutely. I would agree with that.
0: So kudos to you, my friend. You're still doing it.
1: That's right. I survived uh, two terms of it. And at least they, they welcome me back for this year. So I guess that's a good sign. But I do really enjoy it. It's, it's so different from what I do in my work at Health Canada. So it's a really nice change of pace for me.
0: And there's another one of my guests on the playground a couple of weeks ago. Alexis is also a teacher. I'm seeing a, a lot of commonalities between people and what drives us. I'm getting an insight into, you know, what makes you tick and what your purpose is and stuff. So I'm excited for you because it's there, like it's there. You just need to get those right tools and figure out what the questions are and you'll have it figured out.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. It feels feels good to hear that once in a while because I feel like we all have those days where you feel like you won't figure it out. So it's nice to hear mm-hmm. some reassurance that eventually I will.
0: You will. You're on your way for sure, for sure. Now here's, here's another question, which, you know, I love talking about values. What are your top three values?
1: So I gave this some thought, full disclosure, because I know you sent me the questions ahead of time. And this was one that stood out to me because I I really want to be well prepared for this. And it's funny, I felt a lot of pressure too, to feel like, okay, I want to make sure I'm giving what my true three top values are. So Mm -hmm. the first value that I thought of is, number one, for me, something that's really important is compassion. So I think for people in everything we do, whether you're having a good day, a bad day, whether you're having a challenging situation, easy situation, to me, compassion and how you treat people is really important. And so I think that goes right up from the top levels of leadership, right down to frontline employees as well. And I feel like you can build really great organizations, cultures, and teams if you have everyone treating each other and, and leading with compassion and how they do things while also still being effective and getting work done as well. Mm-hmm. So that was one. Two okay. for me was, I don't even know if you could call this a value, but I think it's just something that's super important to me, is people who lead by example. So I think you want... I think we all want people that we deal with in our everyday life to be asking us to do things that that they would be willing to do themselves. So that's something that's always really important to me because I feel like it always mm-hmm. resonates with me when I see leaders that I work with that are essentially there doing the grunt work with you on the front lines, helping out, as opposed to people who sit back and essentially mm-hmm. want you to do the work or asking you to do things that they, in fact, wouldn't do themselves.
0: Yeah, I hear you.
1: And then number three, and I feel like this has come up a couple times since we've chatted a little bit um, in terms of the conversation about pivoting, is resilience. I think resilience is really important to me as well, because one thing I've realized, even though I'm still very early on in my career, is that you're always going to encounter really challenging situations or situations that might really upset you. But I, I think being able to rise from that and think about how to not necessarily embrace problems, but embrace solutions is super important. So I think resilience is always something that I come back to, because I, I think it's something that that you'll definitely need if you want to continue to succeed in whatever you choose to do.
0: Mm-hmm. So compassion, lead by example, and resilience. Can you see why you will make a fantastic manager?
1: Well, thank you. And it's funny, because some of this actually came from, I was looking back and I was I had the opportunity last year through work to do a little bit of leadership training with a leadership coach through work. And so we talked a lot about what my top values were. And these are some of the things that came up. So I was looking back at those notes before this session, actually, to see what values I put down and try to remind myself of those. So it's funny you mentioned that because these are all the things that I talked about that I think are really important to be a great leader.
0: And you have them. That's so like, that's obvious that that shines through that shine, that shone through for the people that hired you at Sheridan. That's shining through for the people that you work with. And that's going to shine through when you have that chance to meet somebody who will be able to help move you along into this next phase of your career.
1: Well, thank you. I have my days where those shine through, (laughs) but certainly there's, there's moments that they don't either (laughs)
0: Well, because you're human.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Now, last question for you. Do you have a favorite motivational quote or, you know, some words that you live by?
1: So this is something that came up in my leadership training as well. So full disclosure, I cheated with my notes a little bit. And I think this, this exact question came up and I, I had to remind myself of what it was. So it's not really a quote per se that came from anyone, but... One thing I really like is this whole idea, and I think I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, is not embracing problems, but embracing solutions. I feel like I just love this idea of of instead of sitting around a room talking about problems that you're having or complaining about problems, I love this idea of really focusing your time and energy on what you're going to do to solve that problem and get yourself out of that situation. And I feel like that applies to your work life, to your home life, to your personal life. So I think it's applicable to really any facet of life. So I think that's why that quote's always resonated. Not really a quote, but that's why that idea has always resonated with me.
0: I like it. Embracing solutions, not problems. See, that's stuck. That's sticking around in my head now. Okay. And it's not cheating. You're just being resourceful.
1: (laughs) That's right. I was a... I feel like I was a little bit smarter or less tired maybe a year ago when I did this leadership training. So I thought, okay, I'll go back to my notes when I really had a good handle on things and remind myself of what are some of the things that I put down. Little did I know it would be helpful a year later when recording a podcast.
0: Things like this, career-y stuff, Mm, I think it's really important to hang on to them. You are fabulous well thank, thank you Tony. for coming onto the the playground and thank you for sharing that part of your your journey that hasn't uh, you know been the easiest and you really had to demonstrate resilience.
1: Well, thanks a lot, Tanya. It was like a, it was a good little coaching session for me because on a daily basis it's not like I ask myself these questions. So it's kind of good when someone forces you to to think some of these things through a little. It's a good opportunity to reflect.
0: Oh, I love the reflecting, I love considering, I love thinking, and I'm going to send you those things, I'm going to send you all those things, and um, uh, I'm going to keep introducing you to people, and yeah, I just think you're a gem, and I think that the people that, that get to have you as a mentor, or as a as an instructor, or as a manager, or a colleague, they're lucky.
1: Well, thank you so much, Tanya.
0: Thanks, Michael. I'll get this to you. ASAP, this stuff. And uh, I really appreciate you.
1: Of course. Anytime. Thank you. So nice to chat with you.
0: You too. Have a good night.
1: Thank you too. Take care. Bye. You too.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you, Michael, for not just sharing your story of pivoting, but also for giving us a masterclass in leadership. We learned the importance of compassion in leadership, leading by example, the power of resilience, and the need to embrace solutions, not problems. Michael spoke of his newest gig, Professor of Clinical Research and Regulatory Affairs at Sheridan College. Lucky students. He also shared with us his feelings of not having everything figured out yet, to which I say, I hear you. Michael is one of the most generous people I know. Whenever I ask if I can introduce him to a mentee, a student, a newcomer, or a fellow colleague, he is always open to this and very gracious. He is an amazing mentor, and I had a fantastic time supporting him and his mentees through the years. And as a taxpayer, I am confident that Health Canada is heading in the right direction with Michael Giuseppe as part of the team. I'm excited for his future because I know he has so much to contribute, and when it happens, his team will be exceptionally lucky to have him as their manager. So thank you, Michael, for your honesty, authenticity, and being real with us on the playground today. And you know, I am really looking forward to welcoming my next mystery guest on next week's episode. We're going to have a lot of fun just hanging out on the playground, so please do join us. Please remember to follow me on Instagram at puddlejumpcoaching001 and do subscribe or follow the podcast. I love hanging out with you. And until next time, when we will jump into the future, together.